And we are live back with another episode of Shifting Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism stage yourself, Mama Baden. How are you? I am good. The sun is shining, and I had a nice morning on the patio. So it's a good day because the sun is shining. <laughs> That's generally like how it is, where you're there's probably a word for this, but I don't know what it is because I'm not like a scientist or anything. But like the weather sort of dictates your mood a little bit. Does. Which I, I suggest you never move to like the Northeast because this time of year we get sun like once a week. I suggest I move to an island and stay there. That's what I suggest. I, I, I went to school and this is our obligatory like three to five minutes of talking about the weather for no reason. I went to college upstate where I believe they said they get an average of 42 cloudless days all year, like for the whole year. And most of that's in the summer. In the winter, you will, and I'm not exaggerating, you will literally go like a month and have maybe one day where it's sunny. Not completely sunny, but that you see the sun. I've had weeks where it's just overcast and snowy mm -hmm. for weeks on end. Not good for your mental health. I, I personally, see the key for me is that I'm always depressed, so I'm no longer affected by the weather. So that that's what you need to do if you if, if you're someone living in a climate where it's not great during the winter, just be always sad. Then just you're not affected. Your normal status is depressed, and so it doesn't exactly. affect you because that's just your status. That's a smart way to approach things. I'm like Bane. <laughs> I was born to die, molded by it. Like that's like I was born depressed, molded oh by the depression. And so no. I'm not affected by the weather. It's great. <laughs> I, I really am. I wish I wasn't. It significantly impacts my productivity and my day and my mood. Um, so today was a good day. But we are here to talk about a topic that's been on my mind. So so like most of, I'll preface this by saying like most of our topics, uh, we came up with this because of something that pisses Stacey off. That's sometimes it's something that pisses me off, but usually it's something that pisses Stacy off. It then becomes a podcast topic. And this is one of those times. So Stacy, what is pissing you off? So the obsession with friendship for children under the age of 10 or eight. Um, so the reason I wanted to talk about this is not because I don't think children should have friends, but I wanted to talk about friendship because I see a lot of comments, posts, I have a lot of discussions with parents and one of even even kiddos, right? Even kiddos um, in terms of my homeschool students I'm speaking of who they talk about friendship, friendship, right? So one of the reasons we shouldn't homeschool is because kids need to make friends. Why do children need to go to school to make friends? Why do they need to be in extracurricular activities to make friends? And um, uh, why, uh, you know, do they need to go anywhere with other children? And it's always about friendship. Parents want kids to make friends. And so when I hear that, I always think, well, how many friends do you have, mom and dad, right? Like, do you have social gatherings where people come over? It's not about how many friends that I have. It's about how many <laughs> friends my kids have. To ignore the fact that, like, I haven't has been to a social gathering in, like, a decade. That's yeah. because I'm a parent. See, when you're a parent, you don't have friends anymore. That's that. That's my excuse. Well, well, but, but you bring up a point that I wanted to make in terms of I, I try to help parents understand that, first of all, 
children in elementary school don't necessarily make long lasting friendships, right? I mean, you know, if you've never been on a recess playground, one minute Becky's your best friend, the next minute she's your enemy, right? That's just the way elementary school play goes. The children who have a friendship in that stage are children whose parents hang out together, right? And that's usually how children develop their friends is who their parents bring them out to socialize with. I'm not saying they don't have kids in their classroom. What I'm saying is children don't really understand what a friend is when they're in elementary school and sometimes even in middle school. And I think it's it's very important to help kids understand what a true friend is and what an associate or, or a classmate, right? Because everyone in your class is not your friend. I hate when teachers do that. All right, everyone, all the friends. I'm like, stop, you're making it so gray. And then children are relying on this friendship relationship. And that's not really what it is. But that's right? why I hate special ed. I, I apologize going on a quick tangent. This will be quick. We've nope. talked about before, I hate like, uh, pure special ed, so non-inclusion, just kids who are in special education, because I was there my whole life, my whole schooling, and that's what every school did. They were just like, you need to be friends with everybody, because they didn't want people to feel left out, and because no one, no, no one, everyone there is on the spectrum, no one has social skills, so you were forced to be friends with everybody, even people you didn't like. I just, I just want to mention that, like, I personally can't stand that either. And, and I think that it's important to be honest about we don't like, right? We don't want to play with everyone and for different reasons. I mean, everyone is not friends with everyone as adults and we should not have the expectation as children or for our children. So one of the things that I, I wanted to bring up was the the fact that it's put as a priority, right? Like it's, it's, it's oh, I want my child to have friends because the 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 back of the head the stigmatism around autistic individuals is they don't socialize they don't want to be touched they don't want to be around people um they don't have any friends well you know that may be true for some autistic individuals but it's also true for non-autistic individuals right based on their introvertedness or their interest or whatever it is the reality is friendships are based on like interest, right? Like the people that enjoy doing some things that are similar to what you do. Not necessarily everything, but something similar. But when it comes to our kiddos, our neurodivergent kiddos, my observations, I'm talking specifically children elementary, right? Before sixth grade middle school. Kiddos, because that's the time when parents intervene the most, right? When they get to middle school, parents don't get to intervene as much. My observation is that neurodivergent kiddos typically will sit back and observe, right? And what they're observing from my perspective is who is the sensory safe kid? Who is the sporadic kid? Who's the bossy kid? And they pick the one that's going to be the easiest sensory environment right like this kid's predictable i'm gonna go with this kid so they they tag themselves i mean i call it tag because they literally tag like sometimes they don't know how to communicate i want to hang out with you so they kind of tag that one kid and then someone says oh they're obsessed with this one kid no they really just have chosen this child because this child is more than likely sensory safe predictable and they want to connect with this child so I find that is what our kids kind of do looking from the outside. And then they go in when they feel like, okay, I think that 
I'm going to go with this group because that group over there is a little unpredictable, loud, and sporadic. Um, or if they like loud and sporadic, they choose that. But also, I find that neurodivergent kiddos are going to choose kids that are going to let them be in charge, right? Or sometimes older peers if they have access. So there's different reasons why our kids choose the people they want to hang out with, whether it develops into a friendship or not, but who they want to hang out with, which we perceive as, oh, look, they're friends. Well, are they really? Or do they just happen to have recess together and they both like the swing? I don't know, right? Who am I to tell? So I, I, and I'm going to pause for a second to let you give input because I feel like parents, the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I wanted to hopefully help listeners, specifically caregivers, take that off their weight plate of, I need to find my kid friend. I need to, you know, friends, 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 because those things will develop once what? Communication is necessary, sensory regulation, understanding their sensory needs and how to advocate. So if you're not working on communication, sensory regulation, helping your kid advocate to understand what they need and how to request it, however they communicate, they're not going to be able to maintain the friendship you think they have because they're not able to because there's no supports in place, right? There's not, I hate to use the word skill set, but it's hard to be friends with someone if there's no method of communication, right? And that can look differently, right? Sometimes kids play and they never say a word. They have their own nonverbal way of communicating and that's perfectly fine. But I, I think that parents feel this pressure because of society, because of IEP goals, because of all of this in terms of if my child doesn't have friends when they're in elementary school, oh my gosh, what's going to be of their life? Well, a lot happens between elementary school and high school, right? Your children will change. And so I, I really want the friendship goal, the concept, the being invited to all the birthday parties, to having a bunch of people come to your child's birthday party. It's not a priority in life, especially when your kids are young. Does that make sense? Yes. So I both agree and disagree. So I'll, I agree with some parts, disagree with others. The part that I'm just going to go in order of as you said it, the part that sort of sticks mm -hmm. out to me that I have to disagree with slightly is the idea mm -hmm. that elementary kids don't make friends unless their parents are friends. Because when, and this is just limited to my experience and experience of like some of the friends I had who were also teachers when I taught and when some of my, obviously you have, what I will say about adults real quick is that adults tend to just make friends with people they work with. Like, once you're an adult, that tends to be where you make friends. Um, so at the time, when I was teaching, most of my friends were just people who I work with or who worked in a similar field, in this case, teaching. And most of them mentioned that, like, kids do make friends even if their parents aren't friends. They The parents tend to become friends. That's the second mm -hmm. way when you're a parent is yes. your kids meet up. So I will say that children do make friends. And maybe it's because where I taught was mostly uh, inner city for lack of a better word, where you don't have like that suburban community. You don't, it, it's actually an issue with inner city. You tend not to have community at all or not a lot of it. So parents could live a couple blocks from each other and not know each other unless their kids met in the same school. So I, I, I do want to push back. The kids do make friends. No, and I agree. I agree. I apologize for making it seem like children don't. I'm my, because I, I there are kids that buddy up, but if it's not, fostered outside of school with parent involvement, 
then it just stays within the school, right? Then they just play at the school. I understand what you're saying. Oh, I, I, yes, yes, yes. And, and I agree with that. I also agree that there is an obsession, for lack of a better word, for parents to want their kids to make friends. I dealt with it when I was a kid. I've seen kids I work with, the parents worry about that. And I get it. And I'll get to that because I do get where that comes from. And I'm empathetic towards that. But like you said, if there's other gaping holes, there's going to be issues. Like, just come to mind. For example, I knew a kid who was working on being diagnosed. Clearly, they were autistic. The parents were going through the process. You know how it goes. It's a very long process. They were autistic, though. And one of the things they would do is uh, they would just, like, for lack of a better, they would piss themselves, like literally, they would just piss and not say anything. So they kind of smelled like piss and then try to hang out with other uh, classmates. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this didn't go over well yes. because they smelled like piss. And I felt that the parents and some of the staff I worked with were more concerned about making sure we integrated all the kids with IEPs and not enough on like making sure like other kids actually wanted to be around them. Yeah. Yeah. So I do agree that communication as well as like, I hate to say the word social skills, but like basic social, not quite skills, but like I'm looking for, for a word for it. Ability to be in a social environment, especially with non-autistic kids, because the assumption we're having right now is that most of these kids are non-neurodivergent you're trying to make friends with, because if you're dealing with just autistic kids, it, it, it's going to fix itself. Autistic Mm -hmm. kids tend to, no matter how weird they are, they tend to find each other. Like Mm -hmm. kids with similar autism profiles find each other. They just Mm -hmm. do. You put them in the same room. We're like we're like magnets. Yes. So we're so we're talking about non-autistic slash neurotypical kids Mm -hmm. and getting them to want to be friends, which I'll also get to. But um, yes, I, I feel like we do need to teach some sort of social skills so that they can be in those environments because even if they're not making friends mm-hmm. if they're and i agree with you if they're not communicating and if they don't have certain prerequisites not only are they not going to make friends they're also going to be merciless, mercilessly bullied mm-hmm. if they stand out too much they're going to be mercilessly bullied mm-hmm. so i do think i kind of agree i'm kind of i know i'm fence sitting i apologize i don't generally like fence sitters but i do think there needs to be some emphasis on teaching social skills for kids, but also I think too much emphasis is placed on that and not enough on like yeah. the, the 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 base stuff, the root causes of why a kid might be struggling socially. Yes. And also, I, sorry, also no, no, no. a lot of autistic kids just simply don't show an interest in socializing. And while I think socializing is good for children, I think parents focus a little bit too much on it and don't respect their kids' wishes. And that's not a good thing either. Mm-hmm. So I apologize for giving that like CNN both sides bullshit. No, it's a very great area, right? And you know, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I feel like parents worry a lot about it. And I think it's something they don't need to worry about so much for younger kids. Um, but when you talked about like the wording, I think, you know, when you were saying what they should know, I'm thinking about my students that I've worked with in the school setting and You know, I think of it in terms of not so much social skills, like those stupid social stories that say, when you walk on the playground, you say, hi, can I play with you? Okay, children don't say that. That is not what children say. 
So when you throw your child in the playground and they walk over to someone and say, hi, my name is Bobby, can I play? Because you've taught them that and scripted that and reinforced that. The other kids are going to look at them like they're weird because that's not what neurotypical kids say. Neurotypical kids get on the playground, they go in, you join the game, you're either included or you're not, right? There's not a lot of nuances like adults. Um, and this is someone talking about from a lived experience of watching years of elementary school recess. Like elementary school recess is a is, is, is an experiment within itself of how children navigate, especially when their parents are not around. Um, I mean, if parents knew how much their kids cussed in second grade, they would have a fit. I, I read a story recently on Twitter about someone who works in after school. They work with third graders and they walked in, they were in recess outside. It was like fall, so all the leaves had fallen. And the third graders were burying their friend alive. And she's like, Yo, what the hell is going on here? And they announced that she had died of cringe. And if you've ever worked with like first to like fifth graders, you understand that that was a true story. I, I don't know this person. I've never seen them. I could 100% believe that happened because I've yeah. seen stuff like that happen. Oh my gosh. Kids are very interesting. But when I when I think of those those things that are taught, right, I'm like, okay, don't teach that. That's not what really happens. It's so scripted. That's not what really happens. And not that it's just scripted, but it's not what happens. I think more of sort of like social rules, like you don't take something out of someone's hand, right? Like that's a big deal. When you go snatch something because you want it, kids aren't going to want to be your friend. You're going to be the kid that takes things away from them, right? So those rules about boundaries, I think, are important. Um you know, I always think turn-taking is important for everything because in life we have to take turns, whether it's waiting in the grocery store or taking turns to wait for the ball or the hopscotch or whatever it is that kids play on the playground. Um, so those little rules, um, for lack of a better term, are important for kids to understand. And I, you know what I hear in my head? I hear Temple Grandin saying, we need to go back to teaching kids manners. Remember when we used to teach manners? We used to teach manners like we used to teach manners. We don't teach manners anymore. Um, and I know we don't teach manners anymore because I see the way parents talk to their children, their children talk to them, and they all talk to each other in the family. And I'm like, whoa, that would have not gone over in my house. However, um, and children are different these days as well. They're also exposed to more. But I think that instead of trying to force friendships, we need to allow our children to navigate it. And our role is to support the needs of communication, the needs of understanding the rules and nuances and the boundaries of, you know, little things like you don't always get to pick the game, right? And, and that gets a lot of kids in trouble. A lot of neurodivergent kids get in trouble because they get frustrated because they want to play the same game, the same game, the same order with the same people. And everybody else is like, uh, we already played that game three times this week. Right. So understanding if you want to hang with them, you're going to have to let them have a turn and it's not always your turn. Those little things, I think, are helpful instead of focusing on how many invites to the birthday party, who comes to the birthday party. I mean, seriously, the birthday party thing is probably my biggest pet peeve because children do not. To who remembers their birthday party at age six, seven, unless you went to freaking Disney World and you go with your family anyway. Like seriously, children don't remember these lavish birthday parties. They see the pictures. They don't, if you do something small with the people you know that love your child and your child is happy, it's fine. 
The need for adults to have other people affirm that their child is important needs to go away. That birthday party thing literally drives me crazy. If you throw a birthday party and you invite everyone in your kid's class and they're not friends with them inside school, if they show up, it's because they want free food. Yes. Which is why I would show up, which is why you would show up. That's why any of us would show up. Or their parents made them go because their parents want to be the one that said, oh, look, see, he went to little autistic child's birthday party. Exactly. You're not, you're not helping your kid. Mm -hmm. You're doing it because, first of all, he's not going to remember. Second of all, if no one shows up, best believe he's going to remember that. He's not going to remember mm -hmm. if people show up and no one wants to hang out with him and everyone just eats free pizza. But if yeah. you invite everybody, you tell them you invite everybody that no one shows up, he will remember that. So there's there's potential for backfiring. And just remember, you're spending all of this money and going through all the stress for other people's kids. Yes. Like it's other people's kids who are benefiting from this because they're getting to have a good time. Yes. So if you're that charitable, feel free to do it. But it's not actually helping. And you're not helping. You're well-intentioned, but you're not actually helping the kid make friends. Yes. And the other part is, I think it gives a false sense of security when you do that, because like teachers, you know, oh, go play with Bobby. And, you know, I mean, there are people that we don't like. There are children that we went to school with that we can all remember, like, oh, I didn't nobody liked him. There are people we work with in the office that we do not like. Doesn't really matter. That's not being cruel. Some people are annoying, arrogant, assholes, and let's make a whole list, right? So there are those people in the world. And some children are annoying. I'm not saying they shouldn't have friends, but they have to find a friend that can tolerate their annoyance. And, and I think it's it's a false sense of security if everybody comes to the party and nobody talks to your child all day at school. Like, what's the point of that? But, you know, the birthday parties, like I said, that's my little pet peeve because I think that there's too much focus on the importance of a birthday party. Um, and maybe that's just me. And maybe adults have a dream of how they want their kids' parties to be, and it's important to them. But we have to think about our kids. But it doesn't really help to make friendships in terms of just because you have the party. Like you said, if they're not talking to them at school, they're not going to talk to them. Um, I mean, they're just not going to talk to them. And the one thing, and I'm sorry I cut you off real quick before we move on from, from this topic, is if there are kids who talk to them outside of school, and you have the means, feel free to go all out on the birthday party because that actually could help. If they already have a friendship, bringing yeah. that outside of school, as you mentioned earlier, bringing that outside of school could actually be very beneficial. Yes. So if you have the means, like you're like, you know what? I'm just going to spend more money than I should on a birthday party because I want to have this big extravagant birthday party. Don't invite everybody. Invite the kids he actually talks to. And, mm -hmm. and by the way, that's up to you to be able to establish a line of communication with your kid to know yes. who and with his teachers and with school to know who he's actually, who they, I shouldn't just say he, who they are actually talking to. And I, invite I those have, kids, invite them I to a movie, to the aquarium, to whatever, and exactly. foster that friendship. I had a mom that um, her kiddo was in, uh, I want to say he was in first or second grade, and he and one of the other kiddos in the classroom always chose the um, trampoline as their fun sensory activity, right? So they always hung out together in their own little way. So that's what the mom did with the one friend. They went to the trampoline park. They went to their favorite chicken nugget place. And they just had a day, just the two of them outside of school celebrating their birthday with cake and ice cream, two kids. And it was delightful. It was delightful because it was somebody that he already connected with. They both had an interest 
And it was a win-win for everybody. The goal should not be to get 500 presents. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And who wants all that stuff in their house anyway? However, the other part of that is in terms of when you do things where it's forced, where you're making people engage, it's a false sense of what friendship truly is. And then your children don't realize that Bobby, who you say, oh, Bobby must be your friend, but Bobby's like taking their cookies or bullying them on the side and making them do things that they probably shouldn't be doing because you have said, oh, you guys are friends, right? Like that's the part where adults don't realize how when you keep saying the word friends, keep saying the word friends, friends are supposed to be people that you trust, people that you can rely on, and that develops, right? And so all of us who are adults, you know, having one good friend is like, wow, that's really great if you can get that one friend that you can trust. Having two is wonderful, right? Because everybody doesn't find that. It's not like it's easy to find. Most people do, but not everyone does. So thinking in terms of one, it shouldn't be forced, but also children should understand is a really good resource that I use for kids understanding what friendship looks like. Because a lot of kids think that their, their peers are their friends and they're doing some really shady stuff some really shady stuff because we have not prepared them. We have not taught them what friendship actually means because we've told them everybody has to play and be nice. And what's interesting is now that I mentioned the play date, a lot of times I have found, I'm not saying it's in every case, that playing with Becky at school is fine, but the autistic child doesn't want Becky at the house. They bring him over for a play date because parents get excited about, oh, she's got a friend at school. And then when they bring them over to the house, they're like, no, 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 at school, at school. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to see this bitch in my free time. It's like hanging out with your coworker at lunch, but you're like, no, 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 I don't want to get together on the weekend. I don't like you like that. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to be friends like that. What the little children are thinking. The younger children are thinking from the aspect of, you know, younger children who are still learning and growing they're protective about their toys and the way their toy i have a bunch of strategies that i use for when kids do come over to the house because you know a lot of kids it's like nope i don't want to share that word that i you know people like to throw around um because they don't trust that they know the rules they don't want someone to break it and, and they don't want so there's a separate bin that i tell parents to bring out when kids come over because it's understandable and i guess i can relate because I don't like to share my stuff. When I was in the classroom in the school setting, people knew. I'm like, listen, I paid a lot of money personally for all my items in my classroom. If you're going to borrow it, I need to trust you and you better not break it. I better get it back, right? So everybody knew, first of all, I better be careful about what I asked to borrow from this bad on because I need to know that I'm not going to break it. And then the ones that I did trust, they could borrow it. But I don't want my stuff broken. And whether that's not sharing or not sharing, I don't really care. I need my laminator. And if this girl over here keeps breaking her laminator in her classroom, no, you can't borrow mine. You couldn't even take care of your laminator. Why am I going to share my laminator with somebody who kept breaking their laminator? I think not. So children have reasons they don't want to share. But I, I just wanted to throw that out there because it popped in my mind that a lot of times parents do get excited when they have a friendship at school, but then when they bring them to the house, they're like, no, 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 go away, go away, go away, go school, go school, because the, they're in their head. The rule is, this is who I play with at school, not at home, right? And so we have to sort of be aware of that. 
The other part is the kids who are like my homeschool students who talk about, I want to have friends, right? I want to play with friends. Now we're living in a time where COVID has a lot of people isolated, right? Lots of people are not going out as much. Um, some people can't go out because of immune deficiency um, or is, is that the word immune? That's not the uh, word. Because they're immunocompromised. Immunocompromised, thank you, immunocompromised. So friendship looks a little different and kids are kind of craving wanting to play with other kids. I always recommend to parents, and I know everyone lives in different areas and everyone has different resources, but if you can find a outside, like, you know, robotics, if your kid's a Lego club, right? And even if you, there's nothing in your community, if you have a community, if you live in the suburbs, there's always a community center, right? In your suburban area, or if you're a church person and you have a church community, Find other kids that are interested in Legos and on a Saturday at the church or at the community center, just have a Lego event, right? Where kids just come over, they bring their Legos, they hang out, parents can bring snacks, kind of like a structured play date, but with not a lot of, you know, work to put into it. Because everyone, including young children, gravitate to people they have an interest in. And because our neurodivergent children have specific things a lot of times that they're interested in, that's the people that they are going to sort of bond with. Um, they, they did a study. I'm sorry for cutting you off. They did a study. I forget who did the study. And if I wasn't lazy and I was actually like a professional, I would look it up and put it in the show notes. Unfortunately, I'm not. So y'all are just going to have to either Google it or take my word for it, which is basically just how mainstream media works. Anyway, they did a study where they had autistic kids, like kids diagnosed with autism uh interact with neurotypical kids and autistic kids and they mixed it up so they had a control group they had a group of autistic and neurotypicals autistic and non-neuro uh, and non-neurotypicals autistic and other autistics and the long and short of it is they found they what they expected was the autistic kids would gravitate towards other autistic kids that was not necessarily the case what they found was autistic kids gravitated towards kids who had similar interests to them mm -hmm. regardless of neurotype so yep. if they were into Legos, let's say, and they were in a group of neurotypical kids who liked Legos, they would do just fine. Mm -hmm. But if you put them in a room with, we put an autistic kid in a room with something they didn't give a shit about, mm -hmm. they they wouldn't socialize because they don't care. Just because you put, just because they're different neurotypes or you put two neurotypes together doesn't necessarily mean they're friends. And so I wanted to to, to sort of underline what you just said focus on the interest like mm -hmm. especially that that shouldn't even be that difficult because many autistic kids have special interests that we're mm -hmm. really into so it's kind mm -hmm. of i wouldn't say easy but it's a little bit easier than normal kids to really yeah. drill down to what does this kid like of course and oftentimes what autistic kids like tend to tend to just be what like normal kids like we just like it a lot yeah but it's it's in my experience from what i've seen from kids i work with it's not that common that you get, you do get it sometimes. It's not that common that you get a special interest that's completely out of left field and completely age inappropriate. It's usually just like stuff all kids like. Like autistic boys like trains and dinosaurs, generally. Most and boys it, like trains and dinosaurs. We just really like trains and dinosaurs, for example. Instead of focusing on expanding their interest, use their interest to develop their friendships. That's how, because we all are friends with people we're interested in. I am not friends with people who go to football games. I don't like football. I don't like sports. So those people are not my friends, right? Like, it's just not my friends. Um, I mean, I have friends that go to football games, but I don't. I have made so many friends 
because of sports. Like it's just because that's one of my special interests. So because of that, I have made so I have made majority of the friends I've made in my life. I, I have to think or because of sports, because it's something I could easily strike up a conversation with. It's something I wish I was more into sports when I was a kid that would have really helped me when I was like a little, little kid. Um, the last thing I want to say, as we start to get, we still have a little bit of time, but we're starting to get up to time and I don't want to forget this. I do understand where parents are coming from, wanting to have their kids to make friends because as someone who did not have friends growing up and was an only child on top of that, it was a very lonely existence. And if I feel like it's not a death sentence if they don't have friends when they're really, really young. But I personally believe that building these basic social skills young will help down the line because it's much harder to build these social skills later in life. Well, let me rephrase that because it's sort of like, bear with me because we don't have video. So it's sort of like a curve where there's a, it's the easiest to build it when you're a little kid in my opinion, because kids tend to be a bit more forgiving. And then as you get into like adolescence, it's the hardest because teenagers are dead. Yes. And then people in their 20s are basically just teenagers part two. That's what they don't tell you, by the way. So it's still pretty hard. And the older you get, the less people, people just stop caring again. And you just be weird as fuck and people still hang out with you. So it's like, if you don't figure it out as a little kid, you basically have to wait until you're in your 30s before people will start accepting your weirdness again. So I, I am a big fan of helping kids when they're younger form some sort of friendships. But like I said, forcing a friendship that isn't organic isn't going to work because it's not going to last. And and the way I think you can do that organically in helping your kids navigate those social nuances and social rules is go and do things with other people. I mean, if you're a parent, so this is the way I look at it. If you're a parent, when I was, before I was a mom, I hung out with people who didn't have children, right? Because I didn't have children. Once I had children, those people and I had nothing in common. Our schedules were so conflicting. So then I started hanging out with moms of children the same age. So then we get together and our kids learn their social skills with other kids because the mommies get together and the kids play. I'm not saying that you have to go into these big groups. I'm saying when parents socialize with other families of children the same age, your children can develop those in an organic way. And you also have a way to support their needs when you're out. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up was, uh, based on the study that you said, I do think that it is important for parents when they're thinking about friendships and what their children are interested in and where to develop those things, those opportunities for those kids, you... The goal has always been for autistic children to make friends with the non-autistic kids. It's almost like the same thing of racism in America where the goal is for black and brown people to reach the goals that white people have, right? Like that's sort of the, the oh, you wanna do that and live in the big house and, and have the college education. And, and so, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking very general, of course, but the, the terminology in terms of goals being written in IEPs for such and such will make friends and play with non, uh, I mean, neurotypical peers, it's like, okay. Why is that? I meant to ask, I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to ask that before we stop recording. Why is that? I think it's the same as with racism. Not, maybe that's not racism. It's not racism. It's the idea that 
Could, could, could you not get all the angry gonna, right wingers to log off of the podcast? I know. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it in a very truthful, honest way. The reason it's that way is because they want the autistic kids to be like the non-autistic kids. So if they're friends with the non-autistic kids, then they think they're going to be non-autistic. Like that is where that goal comes from. However, it doesn't work, but that's where the goal comes from. And for some reason, people think that non-autistic individuals are the only people autistic kids should make friends with. And I am a firm believer that autistic children should know other autistic children and they should know people just like I was a mom and met other moms. When you're autistic, you need to know other autistic people. Like you do, like you, everybody needs, people have, you know, uh, diabetes clubs, you know, uh, uh, whatever it is that you I, have. I think they worry because they figure that what I'm assuming is mm -hmm. that the assumption is if they only make friends with other autistic people, they'll never learn social skills because like social skills be able to interact with non-autistic people because they're only that their only understanding of social of mm -hmm. what's socially acceptable is being around people who don't care what's socially acceptable. Which I get because I had that yes. issue in high school yes. where all my friends were autistic. I got to college and I did a bunch of really inappropriate things and said a bunch of just non-appropriate things that were not a problem when all your friends are, are, are teenage autistic males. Yeah. Because yes. teenage autistic males, basically, there's, you have to say some wild shit to get them offended. You really do. So... I do get where that comes from a little bit. No, I totally, that's what I'm saying. I wanted to talk about this. So hopefully parents can breathe a little bit easier about this obsession for friendships. And I will share with you a quick story in terms of what you were saying with the friends and, and neurotypical, non-neurotypical. When I was in early intervention and my class was kids ages three to six, right? That's when they started to do the whole inclusive push in. Oh, we're going to, you know, put him in the pre-K. We're going to, we're going to go on the field trips with the, the, you know, non-disabled children. Which sounds and good on paper. I said no. And they were like, well, don't you want your kids? I said that classroom of pre-K four-year-olds is off the chain. My children in my classroom don't do all that crazy stuff. We're not going over there. What are you going to learn over there? Like, nope, 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 nope. And then I said, we can do reverse. I can pick five kids from your class to come in because I was like, I don't want my students to go and learn that stuff those hoodlum children are doing in pre-K. My kids don't do that in my classroom. The, the, this is why you'd be so much, you were so much better of a teacher than me. Because when I, if I was presented, I was never presented with that scenario. If I was presented with that scenario, I would look at my kids and be like, okay, you, 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 and you. Y'all are not smart enough to do that, like, button-down Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory thing where you always follow the rules. So I'm going to put you with, like, the hood kids, and you're going to learn how to while out, and you're going to learn how to sort of go with the flow socially because you are not making it in the STEM fields. And unless you're, like, an accountant or a scientist, people are just going to think you're weird and it's not going to help you. So you got to yes. learn. You, you got you to learn how to sort of blend in mm -hmm. with the crazy kids because that's going to be most of the people you're around growing up because like you could true. tell early on like this kid's not going to make it <laughs> it's like you're, you're looking you're looking at their, their schoolwork and it's like 
Ooh, college probably ain't happening for this kid. <laughs> if it is, it, it, it ain't going to be in the STEM fields, so that's for sure. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, the mature response would have been uh, that. I'm not mature. I'm not claiming that I'm mature. Whatsoever. I'm saying on my part, <laughs> when I said teacher. I blame the children, right, their behaviors in the four-year-old class. But what I really should have said was their teacher does not have good classroom management skills. So I'm not sending my children in there. That's really what it was about, because it's not the four-year-olds. The four-year-olds are just four-year-olds. Um, however, um, I know we're closing down this topic and we're kind of all over the place with it, but what I want caregivers to think about is, I think we understand the perspective. I think we have empathy for knowing why friendships are important, but I just feel that caregivers should not stress over friendships from ages two to eight or 10, right? Like they're, that's not like they're never gonna have friends. Um, and then the reality is a lot of kids in middle school, I mean, after elementary kids go to different middle schools. So you're not even at the same schools, right? Um, when you go to feeding into, it's not like it was a long time ago where everybody went to the same school in the same neighborhood. So I just want parents to not be stressed over it. However, what I will recommend is always Put your child in a situation where they have opportunities to meet other children that have the same interest and always have opportunities. I mean, always create opportunities where you can support them so that they can build friendships that will organically blossom and not stress over the little things. And I know other people pressure. I mean, most of my families bring up things because other people say, why isn't your kid doing this, right? It's not them. It's other people putting pressure on families. Other people bragging about their kid being invited to 15 birthday parties, which I think I would hate to have that that person who got invited to every party. You know how much money it costs to go to birthday parties these days? You know, I mean, you got I mean, a gift, you have to buy a gift, you have to go to the party, you have to spend like be glad your child's not popular and invited to every single birthday party because it's costly. I mean, I know you're not a parent, Torin, but it's costly. I mean, I it's can imagine. Yeah. Like just, I imagine like being just in my twenties and going to parties left and right. Like that shit was expensive. So I like, I can imagine. I remember thinking I have too many close friends because this being in people's wedding is expensive. Like I really wish I didn't have. Also, just the commuting and the driving them there and getting your kid ready, and then the so kid the has a meltdown. Don't bother with friends; it's too much work. Jordan and I are tired. It's too much work. Just, just think of it this way: the more parties your kid goes to, the higher likeliness he melts down in the middle of a party. That is so. True. If you go to fifteen parties, he's going to melt down in one of them. The odds oh. are just too high. It's going to happen. It's like. At some point, a pigeon, if you live in the city, a pigeon's going to shit on your shoulder. At some point, if you're there long enough, at some point, if you go to enough parties, your kid's going to melt down from a party. It's going to be embarrassing. You don't want to deal with any of that. Trust me, you don't want to deal with that. No, you don't. But, you know, the, the reality is your child is going to foster friendship just like all of us do, based on someone who they're comfortable with, based on someone that they feel they can trust, based on someone that enjoys the same things with them. Your role is just to give them opportunities in a safe space with support so they can figure it out. I mean, that's really the reality of it. That's, you know, friendship, yes. And that's a whole nother podcast on socialization and friendship and how it looks different. Um, but it, it, 
is something that I think is so focused on. And I just think it happens. It happens. And then there are kids who don't have friends and they don't have friends for a reason, just like there are adults who don't have friends. It's for a reason. Like everybody does not deserve or earn friendship. You have to earn a relationship. You have to give and take. It's not just take, 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 take. And I'm going off topic, but no, but no, you know, you're absolutely right. That's a great way to to sort of bring this in. Is some kids don't have friends because I'm I'm just gonna be blunt about this. Some kids are just dicks, like they just are. Like they're just like they're just not particularly sociable people. And then on the flip side, they might be in a class or a school where it's just like I I don't like you people. Like I've had that. Like I don't like any of these people. So no, I don't have friends because I don't like any of these. I don't like any of you. And none of y'all like me, and that's fine. So that's fine. And I think this is part going to be part one of the three parter because next week, or I think we're recording earlier later this week, uh, we need to do a part two, focus on mm -hmm. adolescence because that flows in the adolescence. Yes. And I think that's an important topic as well that's yes. related to this because you're contrary to what a lot of autistic autism new autism parents believe that they believe their three year old who's autistic will sort of just evolve like a pokemon into a full-grown 20-something adult so they sort of they sort of forget that middle part where it's like my kid needs to be ready for the real world and they're three and it's like they're not going to be 25 next year they, no. they got time a lot yes. of it's going to happen in between then so yes. i, I want to focus on friendship amongst adolescents yes. and young adults and then part three i think we're going to focus on how it looks different how it's not going to look that's important too Yep. A lot of people can't conceive it, which mm -hmm. I understand because that's hard because it, it can look so different. Yes. Autistic friendships and amongst autistic friendships, there's such a variance. So mm -hmm. I think that's going to be our three-parter. So this is going to be part one. I think it's and perfect. And I, I think that's a good place to bring this in. So you have any, any, any last stuff you'd like to say before we go? It's okay if your two-year-old doesn't have friends. It's okay if your four-year-old doesn't have friends. It's okay if they don't have friends in third grade it really is okay and and i think we'll talk more about you know the parental viewpoint of what friendship looks like right their kids could be having they could have a friendship but we just don't it doesn't look like what we're looking for um like you just said it looks different so it's nothing to stress over that's all i want i just wanted to talk about it because i feel parents are very stressed thinking that their children will never have friends because they don't have a friend in daycare or they don't have a friend in you know, kindergarten, first grade, and third grade, they'll find their other, they'll find their people. And sometimes we don't find our people till middle school, high school, because. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And and the last thing I'll just say is just remember, just because your kid doesn't have friends, they're two, four, six, eight. I didn't have friends when I was two, four, six, eight. And I turned out okay. Now I'm in my early thirties. I'm single. I'm recovering alcohol. And I have severe mental health issues. My only friend is my pit bull who barks at me like he doesn't know who the hell I am. I turned out I'm fine. Your, your little, your, your your little autistic kid doesn't need friends. They could become like me. <laughs> we need to get out of here. Oh my gosh! And you are wonderful, and you do have friends. <laughs> my All dog right. does hate me, though, legitimately. Okay, <laughs> Stacy, that's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism. See ya.